Hello, everyone, and welcome to part two of our special edition Full 40, part of the Stay Tuned Network, brought to you by Nova Insider, our interview with Dana O'Neill. This episode of the Full 40 is brought to you by Sanzo. Sanzo is the premier sparkling water brand and the first of its kind to feature Asian-inspired flavors such as lychee, mango, and calamansi. My favorite is calamansi and Rob's is mango, and we make sure our fridge is always stocked with it. Made with real fruit and no added sugars or artificial flavors, it is a delicious way to have a non-alcoholic beverage during March Madness and avoid unnecessary calories. Sanzo is available at drinksanzo.com where you can subscribe for monthly shipments. It's also available at your local Whole Foods and now available on Amazon. So please check out Sanzo. We're excited. We're going to get right into it. I'm not going to waste any more of your time. Stay tuned for our interview with Dana O'Neill, senior writer at The Athletic, longtime Villanova beat reporter with the Philadelphia Daily News and ESPN, and now The Athletic, a legend of college basketball writing. We're proud to present our interview with Dana O'Neill. Jim Nance, take it away. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. It's the Full 40 with Chris and Rob, part of the Stay Tuned Network, brought to you by Nova Insider. We have a very special edition of the podcast today, and we are live with Dana O'Neill, the senior writer at The Athletic, a storied writer for Villanova basketball. And Dana, it's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful to have you on the podcast today. Welcome. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me on. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, so look, just to give you a little bit of background on us, we're, we, we do, we're like kind of like a fan's take on Villanova basketball. We're not X's and O's guys. We don't pretend to be. Um, we are more kind of culture of the program type of stuff. And, and so you're perfect, and we've wanted to have you on for so long, but candidly, I didn't have the, uh, the stones to, to, to invite you on for some time. Uh, so. That's silly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad uh, you got over that. Yeah. Um, so what we're going to do is when we do with every interview, we're going to go into like a little bit of a personal background. We want to get to know you and, and, and really dig into that, uh, before we talk Villanova and whatever. And I know there's going to be quite a bit of Villanova weaved in because it's been a large part of your professional career. Uh, but yeah, we'll start there and I'm just going to okay. go into it. Like, I know you went to Penn state was the desire to become a journalist and specifically a sports journalist always there from, from the onset or did that change? No, it's actually quite funny. Um, I went to Penn state to major in business because I had a rich uncle and I thought it'd be really cool to be rich. (laughs) And I took, I took one economics course and I was like, well, that's not going to work. So my freshman year, you know, Penn state big school, my RA on my floor had all the freshmen in for a meeting And she was on the Daily Collegian and she said that they were looking for writers and if you're interested. And honestly, I don't know like why I did it, but I always did well in English and writing courses. So I was like, all right, I'll go take the test. So I did. And I had never, I had zero experience in journalism. I went to a tiny high school. We didn't have any of that stuff. We didn't even have journalism classes. So I took the test 
And at the end, they said, if you get chosen, what section do you want to work for? And I, I was an athlete and my dad's a huge sports fan. I thought, ah, sports would be fun. And I wrote down sports and I kept thinking, maybe if I get this, I'll meet Joe Paterno someday. That was my grand plan. <laughs> and by the end of, by the time I came home for Thanksgiving break, I had covered, I think, um, field hockey that fall. I tell, told my parents I want to be a sports writer. They were like, okay. And that was it. I mean, that was like dumb, dumb luck. And I stayed on the paper for four years and became a sports writer. That's awesome. And so you went right back to the Philadelphia area after you graduated. Um, and you started out in a more local paper, right? Yeah, I started at the Trentonian. I interned there um, my summer before my senior year. The, Trent the Trentonian is in Trenton, New Jersey. It's a straight up tabloid, crazy front page headlines, or at least it was back in the day. I mean, it had like a girl in a bikini on page six. It was like hard tabloid but it had a good sports section um and i did everything in the summer i covered everything from little league to the yankees and at the end of the summer they asked me if i wanted to take a job and i was like yeah it was 25 minutes from where i grew up i could live at home save some money um and then again dumb luck right before i, I started the guy who was covering colleges left so i got the colleges beat which was like at that point now the college of new jersey trenton state Ryder, princeton and a little bit of Rutgers. So everything, all sports, just go cover whatever you want. So I did. <laughs> it was awesome. That's awesome. And what did the, like, I guess that entrepreneurial nature of that, how did that, like, is it kind of, you kind of seemed like you had free reign. What did that, yes. how'd that help you going forward? Yeah. Well, I was lucky because my first sports editor at, at the Trentonian was a guy named Chris D'Amico, who later went on to Chicago and uh, the Newark Star-Ledger he was just the best editor a young reporter could ask for because he he would sit down with me and read my stories line by line and make them better. But, you know, yeah, I mean, basically it was like, Hey, there's a big softball game over at the college of New, New Jersey, go cover it. Hey, there's a football game or you know, a basketball game at Ryder, go cover it. And so, you know, we kind of honed in seasonally as things got more interesting, like, you know, lacrosse season, I hung out with Princeton lacrosse because they were winning national championships basketball season I tended toward Ryder because at that point Ryder was going to the NCAA tournament with Kevin Batten um you know I did a few Rutgers games here and there football so it was yeah it was awesome I mean I think I was too stupid to realize that like I was really lucky um and then in the summer I would go to Cadwalder Park and watch um my favorite thing which was the the summer basketball leagues in the in the park the pickup it wasn't pickup summer basketball league I'd spend every night in the park watching college guys come back and play against the playground legends was my favorite part of the whole job. So, so you've always had an affinity for basketball. Is that, I, sort of, I mean, I kind of grew into it. I went to Penn state, so we don't exactly do that right, right. very well. <laughs> um, but um, you know, let me, but we, um, you know, when I started at the Trentonian, obviously I covered a lot of basketball. I really fell in love with it more. I think when I got to Philly because the big five, right. Mm -hmm. But I always liked it. I always liked, liked the sport. And I loved covering it because it was less athletes to deal with. So that was good. So, yeah, I kind of grew into it, I would say. Awesome. And so then you got into the Philadelphia Daily News. What was, um, how, did that, how did that happen? How did you get into the PDN? <laughs> right. So I got lucky because um, – so I was working at the Bucks County Courier Times, you know, suburban paper, covering a little bit. I was doing a lot of enterprise, big features. And, um, but I did basketball here and there. And I met Dick Girardi who you worked for the Philadelphia Daily News at the time, you know, and was like a legend. Mm -hmm. And he, he remains my mentor to this day. Like if I have a question, the first person I call is Girardi. And 
you know, he just kind of stumped for me to move down to the Daily News. And um, they just kind of, they just gave, rolled, rolled the dice. And I always tell everybody, like, if newspapers were never going to be a dying industry, I would have stayed at the Daily News to the day I died. I loved it. I loved the people I worked with, every single reporter and editor. I loved every single one of them. I love Philly sports fans because they care. I went from being like the backup Phillies writer to the backup Eagles writer. And then in the winter, I covered hoops. I mean, it was like La La Land, I, you know, um, and I first I started out on LaSalle and then Girardi actually was the one that moved me to Villanova because I was pregnant. And he was like, you don't need to be needing to be like running around Alney with your like stomach out. Like, let's get you someplace safer. We're going to shove you down to Villanova. And it was the year Jay got hired. Right. OK. So I, I started with Villanova when Jay started with Villanova, literally. That's that's awesome. And I was when I was looking at your resume, I kind of recognized that it was kind of all happened serendipitously around the yeah, same time. Yeah, I used to bring my daughter. My daughter was an infant and I used to bring her in a baby carrier to Villanova practices and I'd sit her and this is when Villanova was not very good. And I'd sit her on the table, the press table on the side and he'd yell across move the baby i have no idea where the ball is going i was like okay baby on the field. <laughs> you know so that's how i yeah that was my beginning of my villanova career or coverage if you will and so you said girardi moved you into the villanova coverage mm-hmm. now over the time you've become very close with in terms of in terms of your ability to have the beat and cover villanova i have to imagine a lot of the groundwork was laid early what, what, what did that take? Yeah, it's what I tell every young journalist. Um, what it takes is just being present. You know, I spent eight years covering them. And every day when I went to bed, I wanted to make sure that the Inquirer didn't beat me. Jay used to call me a pit bull because I drove him nuts. I'd ask him questions all the time. And so, you know, when they had op- open practice, I went. Even if I didn't need to be there, I went. If they had media availability, I went. I wanted to make sure that the players knew me, the head coaches knew me, the assistant coaches knew me, the strength coaches knew me, the athletic director, everybody. So I went and I went and I went and I went. And over the year, you just build up a institutional knowledge and relationships. And this job is nothing if not about relationships. People grow to trust you if they know you. It's human nature, right? And so over the years, I got to know more and more people at Villanova. And I just was around all the time. I mean, I like I said, I, I drove, if I heard something, I texted him every seven seconds. He, I drove him crazy um, <laughs> because I was like, I'm not going to let, you know, at the time, I think it was, it wasn't Joe Giuliano first, but eventually it was Joe Giuliano who was on the beat with me, who I love. He's a great, he's like, we're dear friends, but I like, but he's not going to beat me on a story. That was my thing. Now, just to dip in on Jay just a little bit in the early stages there, he had come from Hofstra, so clearly mm-hmm. not the level of media attention that Villanova garnered, even though Villanova was, you know, in a swale relative to its, mm-hmm. its longtime standing. Did Jay struggle with the media early on, like at all? Or was he always just Jay? <laughs> he was always just Jay. I mean, I did a story on him when I was at the Bucks County Courier Times when he was at Hofstra, because Jay is from Bucks County. So I had gone to see him at Hofstra, so I kind of knew him anyway. He hasn't changed since the minute I wrote that story to the time I talked to him last week. I mean, I mean that sincerely. He's busier and he has more demands on him. But no, he has always been easy. I remember when I used to, when I was covering Villanova, the Daily News, I would go to the NCAA tournament and go out to dinner with all these other national writers and stuff. And they'd start telling these horror stories and these horrible coaches are like, what do you got? I'm like, I got nothing. They're like, come on. I'm like, no, I'm serious. Like his thing used to be with me. Um, if I knew something and he didn't want to tell me because he didn't want to like 
whatever he was if it was a job interview whatever was going on but he didn't want to lie to me he would say i'm going underground which means you're right but i'm not going to tell you and you're going to have to leave me alone for a little while so i'm not going to tell you anything more which i was like cool that's how i mean he's and he has not changed he'll he'll call me now yeah yeah you got it you're right you're right Go ahead. okay that's that that's super yeah. cool to hear i, I do want to get back to I do want to get back to your career. Uh, so, so you're, you're kind of covering Villanova through the beginning stages of, okay. of the Renaissance, if you will. And through that time, there was obviously a, uh, a scandal. It was kind of like a, in, in today's day and age, it's kind of a silly scandal. Hilarious. Yeah, it's, it's hilarious. Um, and then it's also, you had the, you had the two NITs. And then, yep. and then, and then, finally, break through to the NCAA tournament. What was what was that like? Because you obviously, as a journalist, have to be have to hold the program to account. So, sure, I did. Yeah. So, based on the fact that you were developing a relationship with with Coach Wright, does that become harder for a journalist, or are you able to stay separate? No, I mean, I think that's part of that's always part of the challenge, but that's part of your job. Is that as much as you might like people, your job is to hold them to account, and and you can't um, compromise that. And, and most good coaches understand that. They understand if it's not personal, right? Like if I'm not just attacking, I think the people that lose their credibility are the ones that sit and, and just throw jabs at people without really any basis of fact and then don't also show up the next day to take the heat from the coach. So I, I never made things up. I never criticized them for things that weren't critical. I mean, that whole phone code scandal, if you will, when they swipe, swipe the back in the day when you had a phone code to dial long distance. I mean, it was, it was stupid <laughs> in retrospect, but it was a big deal. And, you know, they were, Jay was vulnerable. I mean, he had hired, had recruited this great recruiting class of Jason Frazier, Alan Ray, Randy Foy, and Curtis Sumter, and he had nothing to show for it. And now comes along this, this, this goofy scandal that ended up with an NCA probation and all kinds of investigations. And he was in a vulnerable spot. He really was. I mean, I remember being at a game and people saying you should fire him. And the one, the year that they went to the NCA tournament every year before the season, he and I would go out to breakfast at the old Villanova diner. That was our preseason meeting spot. And that year I remember saying, I'm like, you know, I got to write it. Like you're on the hot seat. He's like, yeah, I am. You're absolutely right. I am on the hot seat. Right. So, you know, yeah, I mean, was it, do you like having to do those sorts of things? No, but that's, that's your job. That's cool. And it's, it's, it's awesome to hear that, um, that he was welcome and understanding that to, to keeping, to allowing you to keep him to account. I do want to talk about, because you did mention there's horror stories and whatever. And I think over the last, there's been instances in a couple months and it hasn't been according to female writers, but there's been instances of coaches being really hard. Jim Beheim just had an issue um recently was it how has it been you know given that it's women's history month too is it been is it been difficult as a female journalist to go i mean you mentioned bringing the baby along with you too uh to, to the basketball <laughs> yeah. games but uh to the basketball practice but i'm just curious yeah i mean you know i think it, it's much more it, it can be more difficult yes because your your um, margin for error is it doesn't your margin for error doesn't exist that's really what it is. I mean, I always tell the story when I was at the Daily News and I was a backup baseball writer and I was going out on maternity leave and our hockey writer was going to take over from me. So I took him to a Phillies game. You know, we're watching the Phillies game, eighth inning tie game. And he says to me, dead serious, what happens if it ends in a tie? And I was like, shoot out. I'm like, what are you like? Come on, man. It's extra inning. And if I had said that, like, I'm done. Like I, there's, that's, that's the, you know, there's no margin for error. I mean, yes, have I been, told back in the day when women in the locker room were new 
mm, we're not going to sure forget about you. And, uh, and my whole thing was always like, well, you're either going to let me in or you're going to get them out. Like, this is like, you got 10 seconds to figure it out or I'm going in. Like, I don't suffer a lot of fools and I don't put up with a lot of nonsense. So that's helped me. Twitter is horrific. Yep. Twitter is a cesspool. The mute button, the block button. I used to not mute and block people. And then my friend Pete Famel said, if people were nasty to you in your life, you'd cut them out. Why are you putting up with it on social media? So yeah, I mean, I think the challenges exist, but um, you know, I've been fortunate. I will say that everyone I've worked with, everywhere I've worked, has been wildly supportive. Um, I have not had. I've had some coaches that made me like uncomfortable, like eh, that's a little squishy. But I also know, like, the problem is, like I always say, if if I go if I go to a bar after an NCAA tournament game, and one of my colleagues is talking to Bill Self at the bar, mm-hmm. right? Just having a, he's working his source. And then people are like, wow, look at that. That's cool. If I do that, oh, I'm sleeping with it. Right. Like, I know that people think that you have to learn to not care. I know I'm not sleeping with Bill Self. So (laughs) I'm good. You guys want to whisper behind my back or people want to say things. I'm going to put my head on the pillow at night and know I'm fine. So those are the things you have to maneuver through is how to handle the perception of what you're doing versus the reality of what you're doing. But I've been doing this for 30 years. So I've grown into it. Um, yeah, it's it, it can be challenging. It can be challenging. Yes. Yeah. So Twitter is yeah. Twitter is obviously Horrifying. terrible. But has there been any issue issues in your career? And I remember that you when you left ESPN, there was you had your your comment when you left ESPN that there were some people who were cheering your demise. I don't know if that was pure to Twitter no, or more in the in the in the industry space. I know. I would say it was more to Twitter. Um, it was more, you know, I, I don't, I mean, look, I'm sure not everybody in my industry loves me, I've, but I, I feel like I have a pretty fair uh, reputation. And I do know when I got laid off at ESPN that the one of the most restorative things to me were the coaches that reached out to me and said, our corner of the world just got worse because you're not covering it. Because my thing has always been like, I don't care if you like me, as long as you respect mm-hmm. me. You don't have to, we don't have to great. Like I had a thing with Jim Calhoun years ago. He was getting um, investigated for whatever. And I wrote a column basically because he was saying like his assistants did it. He knew nothing. And I wrote a column making fun of him for saying that he didn't know what was going on. <laughs> so a couple of days later, I saw him at the Big East um, Tournament Media Day. And he told me aside, he's like, I'm pissed at you about your column. And I said, what? He said, you didn't call me. You didn't give me a chance to defend myself. And I was like, you know what? You're absolutely right. I'm sorry. Like, I was wrong. And we talked it out. And then he's like, all right, you want to do a video? I'm like, okay. And he moved along. Like, that was it. Like, okay. I, you know, and that's part of how you earn a coach's respect. I was wrong. I admitted it. I showed up. I took the heat. We caught a conversation. Some coaches you can't do that with, but I'd say 98% of them you can. So yeah, I think um, the people mostly that were cheering my demise were fans who just don't think that I fans tend to think that I hate their team. Truth be told, I don't care. (laughs) I'm here to cover your team. I'm not, I don't love you, hate you. I'm just here to do my job. People can't wrap their head around that. Gotcha. I guess going, going a little bit deeper on the uh, point, we started, we got you to the Philadelphia Daily News and then you, and then you got into ESPN. Um, And some of your, I mean, I love your articles at The Athletic. There's no, there's no debate about it, but I, I kind of fell in love with your writing in while you were at ESPN at that point in time. Obviously, Villanova was you know, making a Final Four run. The the article that I remember like vividly um, was was your article about Corey Fisher during the Final Four run and his uncle, I believe. Oh God, I'm sure yeah. about that. Yeah, and and 
You have a better memory than I. <laughs> well, I'm a Villanova fan. I don't think you hate the team. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but I, I was. I, I, have you ever had any favorite pieces or interviews during your time there? Uh, at yeah. ESPN? Yeah. Uh, I mean, sure. I mean, the one my go-to always, um, and it's not to be lazy, is um, Austin Hatch, who played from, who was at Michigan, who um, was involved in two plane crashes. The first plane crash lost his mother, his sister and brother. The second plane crash lost his father and his stepmother. It was horrifying. And I went to sit down with Austin when he was at Michigan, and he was the most upbeat human being I have ever <laughs> encountered. He said, I've only had two bad days in my life. I'm like, Austin. I mean, he was in a coma. It was horrifying what he went through. He was the only athlete I've ever interviewed that I came home and I said to my children, you actually have to read my story. I don't care. I knew, normally don't care. Like, you actually have, it's not about me. You have to understand this person. Like it's, if this person can do what he's doing, you need to appreciate your life and your opportunities and all the, he's the only person I've ever said that to my kids. Um, so he's my go-to. I mean, I've had a million encounters with people that nobody's ever heard of and, and some that people have heard of, but I just, uh, you know, Randy Foy remains one of my favorite people to have had the pleasure to cover. I mean, I remember when Randy was a junior and could have gone pro and he had a really difficult upbringing. His, his father died. His mother took off. He was raised by his grandmother, uh, had nothing, nothing, nothing. And I remember at the end of his junior year, he was going to go pro and he didn't. I said, why not? He's like, I've been poor my whole life. What's one more year? I'm getting my degree. And I was like, God bless you. And I just like, that's a person that stays yeah. with me. That whole group, they were like my first, they like, they were like my first right. born. So, you know, Jason, Alan, Randy and Kurt and Mike Nardi and Kyle, like they're like my, they're like my, and Will Sheridan. They're like my, my, my baby crew. So those group, that group has always been dear to me in terms of just interviews. Do people stuff. stay in touch? They're just curious. Yeah. I mean, I hear from, you know, I, I don't text them regularly, but if I need them for anything and I see them at a game once every once in a while, I, you know, I've gone to see bump up in New York a couple of times back when you can do such a thing. Um, you know, I mean, I, I text Kyle all the time and he's, you know, he actually answers still, which is impressive because Kyle, Kyle was a pain in the rear end all through his college career. And, I loved Kyle and Kyle loved me. And I think he's still grateful that I was like the one person that loved him back then <laughs> because he was a pain in the ass. <laughs> well, by the end of his career, everyone at Villanova, everyone loved him. It took, it took a little bit though. Yeah. yeah. He, 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 he was just a lot of work. He still is a lot of work. He's a yeah. lot of work. He's, you know, but yeah, I mean, so, you know, you get to know these people, you know, you know, their parents, um, you know, their families, you know, uh, the, I've known Jay's kids since they were, were kids. Like that's all part of the fun of it. So I don't know, like there's a million stories that you get to tell because I always, I always feel like it's a, um, a privilege to get someone who's like, here's my life. Now you go write about it. I feel like that's a great privilege and I don't take it for granted when I start to type a story out. Now you mentioned that, that, that your firstborn group, um, so to speak of the, of the early Jay years and, and then how has college basketball, how has Villanova basketball uh, progressed and and changed and transformed over the last 15 years? Well, I mean, I think in terms of like, from my perspective, you know, the attention is just so much greater, right? Like back when I was covering the team, I mean, like then, I mean, no, you know, nobody cared. I mean, Jay was always charming. People always liked Jay, but people weren't coming into Villanova to cover Villanova games or crowding the locker room at the NCAA tournament or any of that stuff. So but in terms of like the way that they operate, I really don't think they've changed that much. I really, I know that sounds crazy, but the type of people that you deal with in the locker room, the players and the way they carry themselves, 
I don't think that's changed much at all. I remember in 2016 when they were, you know, on that run, we were sitting in a media interview and Ryan Archidiakono was there and one of my friends sneezed and Ryan said, God bless you in the middle of this conversation. And then we got up and we walked out and my, my friend's like, is, is that real? I'm like, what? He's like, like, he's so nice. He said, God bless you. I'm like, well, he's like, yeah, he's like a good kid. Like, why is that like, everyone is like so cynical. They could not believe that 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 was real. But that's what I mean. That's why they haven't changed. Like the core of who they are is pretty much still, you know, Colin Gillespie is a great kid. That's like, I was gutted for him because he's a good right. person you know so i don't think that's changed much now, how about the like the fans i feel like the fans perspective on college basketball players has has shifted quite a bit though in the last 15 yes. years whereas 15 years ago i remember being a student and we made fun of players who were going to go early and whatever and i feel like an idiot in retrospect because like we used to talk about like oh well they don't stay four years and, and, and therefore, you know, they're not as good at people or whatever. And that's kind of stupid. It's so stupid. Right. I felt so immature and dumb in retrospect um, because now I'm like, yeah, if they're ready to go, they should go earn a living. Like, come on. Yeah. So has that changed the nature of your writing? Have has your views progressed? Well no, my views, my views haven't changed because I've always believed that if a kid's ready to go pro, he should go. Like if you're a really good ballerina, you get to be a ballerina at 16, 17, 18. You don't, there are some careers you don't need to go to college. So I have never begrudged a kid the opportunity to go capitalize on their skills and their talent. I don't think, um, I think what's changed is people's like, it's harder to get invested in some, some for fans. I think fans two things their expectations get raised because these kids aren't here very long and the idea is like well if you're a pro why aren't we winning there's that sort of expectation right, right? like if we've got five pros we should never lose which is baloney um and i do think also it's changed the fans ability to invest in a kid you just don't know them because they don't stick around as much but i do think too the interesting thing is the tide mm -hmm. is changing like the teams that win aren't the ones with all the one and done villanova virginia Villanova, North Carolina, Gonzaga, Baylor, they're not one and done teams. Like that's not how you win at college basketball. So I think we're kind of getting throwback-ish here. And I think fans are um, getting to see their players longer. But yeah, I think, I mean, look, fans are fans. Like that's, they're supposed to be insanely demanding. I get it. I don't, I, I still see them as 20 year old right. kids personally. Cause I, cause I own one of them. I have a 20 year old and I have a 17 year old. So like I can't imagine anyone demanding of my kids what we demand of college basketball uh, players. Cause I'm like, I'm happy. My kids like get up and go to school. Good job. Yeah. Good job. I, that's <laughs> to me, that's a really good point. I mean, we've had several people on the podcast here and it's like amazing how much perspective they have. And it's amazing. And it's amazing their level of professionalism at such a young age. And I'm, I always am impressed with, with, with everyone we come across. I do want to ask about, yeah. um, I want to ask about the pandemic and how this season has been with covering it during the pandemic. Yeah. Horrible. I, the first live basketball, the first live basketball game I will see will be on the first four on the 18th of March. I have not been to a live basketball game this year. The only place I have gone to see anybody related to basketball and have a face-to-face -face interview. I went to Gonzaga in October. I went to a couple of practices out there. I have not been anywhere i for much of the season i felt like it was happening over there like as much as you try to be invested in it it's it's so detached it's so 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 hard um you know you rely on your relationships to, to get phone calls and do what you can do and build stories as best you can but man has it been brutal i, I was thinking this week so march 
let me get my day right. March 12th, right? Yeah, March 12th, I was at the Michigan Rutgers game in Indianapolis for the Big Ten tournament that everyone got pulled off the court. So I'm, I'm coming up on my one-year anniversary of without seeing a basketball game, which is insane. Yeah, I, it's, it's, it's crazy for us. It must be crazy for you because, I mean – yeah, because in Horrible. addition to like we're we're fans at the end of the day, and and we get sure. like, we get to go to a game every so often. I've when I was at school, I went to like one practice or something like that, and and so it's it's got to be it's got to be just absolutely killer for you because you can't do you can't do your job. It's horrible. That's why I had like a mental breakdown the other day. Just I did. I just reached my boiling point. You know, my husband is an athletic trainer at Princeton and, you know, his job has not been right either because he's barely had athletes and all that. But at least every morning he gets up and he goes to work and he interacts with some other human beings. And now he has athletes on campus that he can at least work out and do something resembling his life. I haven't gone anywhere. Like I haven't seen, like, it's just, it's awful. I just, like I said, I can't, I can't wait to go to Indianapolis, even though I'm not going to really be able to interact face to face with players. I'm going to be in a gym. I'm going to hear a ball bounce. I'm going to hear, I mean, like the first, like, I might weep, yeah. honest to God, when the ball goes up, I literally might cry. I'm not joking when I say that, because I have been like, so miserable. I was so gutted last year when they canceled the NCAA tournament for the players, for everybody, but, but mm-hmm. selfishly too. I was like, damn it, this is my favorite time of year. Right. And now it's gone. And I never thought I'd still be sitting here. Yeah. Never. I mean, you, you, same, same here. <laughs> it's, yeah, right? it's exactly. And in the middle of all of this, we've had, we've had a, horrible election and and a really challenging discussion on on race which which i mean not every not everybody i think all of all three of us probably but not everybody's thought is to go to college basketball but college basketball is such an interesting american um institution that has a lot of racial implications to it and that's that's been in the middle of all of this so and we've had recent issues with uh pat chambers who Mm -hmm. i know you know quite well and and Mm -hmm. greg mcdermott of of most of late Mm -hmm. how has that impacted all of this too because on top of it you can't even be in the room with the people right i mean and there's so much tension obviously in the world in general and there's tension through all of that and it's interesting because like, you know, like ordinarily, like these would be such, intre- I think, great thought provoking conversations to have in person with players. Because to me, like the beautiful thing about sports has always been like, nobody ever gives a hoot who they're passing the ball to, right? You're open, you can shoot, I'm giving you the ball. I don't care if you're black, white, purple, or green. Like you're my, you're my teammate. And that's always been the beautiful thing about basketball. It's a melting pot of, of humanity all trying to achieve a goal. And I think I've been really impressed, I will say, with college athletes who have been less fearful. I think for years they were fearful to use their voice and now they're realizing like, no, no, I can. And that's what you go to college for. You go to college to discover yourself and discover your voice, whether you're an athlete or my daughter or whomever. Like that's part of your college growth. And I feel like for too long, we stunted that with our athletes, like saying that's not your job. Why can't it be? Like, why can't Jeremiah Robinson Earl have an intelligent conversation about race just as much as my daughter can. So it's been difficult because I feel like, again, like these are, these would be great conversations to be able to have and you can have them over a, a zoom or whatever, but it's not the same. It's just not. And it, it, like you can't feel it. You can't dig your toes into it and really understand it. Um, but I applaud all of them and I applaud their coaches that, you know, have look, you can tick people off, like, right. You can run the risk of ticking off a booster who doesn't agree with you or whomever you run that risk. 
But I think most coaches have said, no, you know what? I'm going to err on the side of my players. And the players have said, I'm going to err on the side of my conscience. And, they, and they're doing it. I've been I give impressed them with the Villanova program, to be candid, on, on this front. Jay has not missed a beat here. You saw Demir Cosby Roundtree out leading mm-hmm. um, protests over the summer. Um, we talked to a handful of players um, on this podcast, Randy Foy included, about about all these issues over the summer. And I think it's been wonderful because – we're not saying anything that no one knows like Villanova uh, alumni base is white conservative, et cetera. And that's been challenging. And you've seen it on Twitter with some of Jay's posts and stuff like that, where he posts something and say, Hey, this is important. We got to care about this. And then all of a sudden you see Mm -hmm. the fire rain down. Um, I'm sure you've experienced Mm -hmm. it as a journalist uh, because Mm -hmm. on top of all of it, you have the the Mm -hmm. fake news bullshit thing going on. So I'm curious as to what, all of that's been like from from your perspective yeah i mean you know like to me it's it's not complicated like it's just about human rights and so you know i'm gonna write about it and i'm gonna tell those stories because i think they're important i mean and if you don't like them that's fine you're not obligated to read them but i'm not gonna stop telling them and i give you know yeah it's been it gets ugly and you kind of know what's coming i just heard a story last week about the ucla gymnastics team who truly women's gymnastics who truly embrace their you know social justice platforms through their routines and I kind of was prepared for the backlash and it really frankly wasn't as bad as I thought it would be but again like I think I I think it's our responsibility like you know coaches like to sit in front of us and say that you know we're moldy men we're here to take care of your son we're going to make turn your son into a man well if you're going to actually say that you got to actually put Mm -hmm. some action behind it and so part of that is not quelching who they are and supporting them to be who they are a couple years ago you know, I did a story with Amari Spellman, who wrote an amazing poem and read it at a student protest about his situation. I mean, and Jay was the one that told me that Amari wrote this, the poem. I didn't, I was going to write a story on him and I didn't know. And he told me about the poem. He's like, ask him, he'll tell you. That's where that's, coaches are supposed and to And that's awesome to hear. Sometimes I feel like Jay can be, and the, and, and the players can be a little bit, and I'm a Yankee fan, so I'm, that, this is my, my term, a little bit jitterian, if you will, um, with the media. Um, so it's... Oh, they could be. I mean, like, look, when Shannon Ryan, who works now for the Chicago Tribune, and I covered covered Jay, like every time they would say Villanova basketball, <laughs> we're like, drink, drink. I mean, it was like, and and I used to like tease them. I'd be like, all right, well, what is it? They're like, what's what? Like, what is Villanova basketball? Like, you keep saying it. Now tell me what it is. Well, you know, it's like play with attitude. I mean, no, no, no. What does like? And they would get so aggravated. I'm like, well, you can't use a term if you can't define it. Yes, they can be very, but everybody can be like that. But I think that's why. I miss face-to-face interviews because when you're with a person, you can cut through that nonsense yeah. and get to like the truth. When they're sitting on a Zoom or at a press conference, they're going to be like, "We're just happy to play. We're happy to be here. We're going to play Villanova basketball and give 100 percent percent and play with attitude." Like that means nothing. That's bull That's bullshit. <laughs> That's. I mean, Dana, this is how we came up with the name for the podcast. It's called the Full Forty. Because players just constantly say, oh, you know, we're just trying to play the full 40 minutes of Villanova basketball. (laughs) And that's how we came up with it. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Like Jay used to actually, when Jay, when when we went to the NCAA tournament the first time and he would get up on the podium and like say, Villanova basketball, he would like a pause, like, oh, my Philadelphia media are going to kill me. Because like like me and Joe and Terry too, we were all like, oh. (laughs) <laughs> it's this ineffable concept what is love it's like what is Villanova basketball right um I, I do want to transition into the into the team and and what we've and what we're seeing now um obviously I mean I feel like to a certain degree everyone's is like what your guess is as good as mine because I mean when you lose when you lose Colin um I almost called him March <laughs> when you lose Colin 
Um, and then, yeah. and then, and then now we don't know yet, unless you know, you know, I don't, we don't know yet as fans what's going on with Justin Moore. Uh, the season's upside no. down. Um, and, and yep. yet here we are on the precipice. We have a 16 and five record. The net says that we're like top 15 or whatever. And you don't know what the committee is going to do with the injuries and what have you. Mm-hmm. What do you make of all of this? <laughs> I mean, look, it is not easy. You cannot lose. I don't care how good you are. You can't lose Colin Gillespie and Justin Moore and just say, yeah, business as usual. We're going to roll. Like it's, it's a massive adjustment that they have to make on the fly. Um, you know, I think the good news is they have a big East tournament to kind of have some wiggle room to figure things out. First of all, hopefully if Justin only has a sprain, it gives him, you know, what we're not playing. They're not going to play a basketball, an NCAA tournament basketball game until March 19th. That gives him almost two weeks to recover. So that's the sprained ankle. You know, you, you get a little gap for him to get better. And certainly if he gets better, things are considerably better. I mean, to me, like the Big East tournament right now, yeah, it would be lovely to win it, but don't even care. Like just survive and advance, like just whatever. Come out with no COVID, no more injuries and move along like that would be my thing you know I think the one thing Villanova has going for them is their experience um and their interchangeableness I mean that's not like it's not like this is a team that relies um on one guy to to handle the ball ever they've got multiple options but look it's it's just going to get tight I mean it's going to be hard. I, I texted Jay after Colin got hurt. And I said, this reminds me of Curtis Sumter is the first thing in my brain went to Kurt going down and against Florida. And like, all of a sudden, not only is it stinky for him, but the entire dynamic of the team changed. And that's when he went four guards and all that nonsense. So he'll figure it out. I just, but I think you have to be understanding that it might be pretty ugly next week in New York because yeah. he figures it out. Yeah. And, that's and the okay. thing that's different about, yeah, and I agree totally with the Sumter. And I read your article on that, and I thought it was I, like my mind yeah. immediately went to Sumter. Um, so I, I, I love that article in peace, um, as I always love all of your writing. Um, um, sorry, I'm fanboying a little bit there. Uh, but the um, <laughs> but the only thing that's a little bit different and it's unique for Jay is you know I, Curtis Sumter going down, you know, and Jay goes to guards. And Jay's default position is to go to guards, and and now I mean, he doesn't not, have any go to right. <laughs> Correct. Correct. Yeah. But you know what? I mean, look, Jeremiah Robinson Earl can handle the ball. You know what you, like I said, like what he has is, you know, non-traditional wings and forwards. Like it's, there's, they're not, he's not, you know, he's not going to go four guards because he doesn't have that option, but they can change the way they play. Like their guards can post up, their bigs can shoot threes. I mean, they're very transitional as players, but it's look, it's a tall order. I mean, like you can't go into this thinking that this is like, Oh, well, we're just going to do what we were going to do. You have to be, you know, realistic and say this could be less than we hoped for. I mean, you, you just can't. Colin Gillespie is more than just the starting point guard. Like, he's like right. the soul of that team. He is. I mean, you know, if you had taken Ryan Archie Diacono out of the 2016 team, could they have won? Yeah. Put Jalen Brunson in what, as a freshman? Would it have worked? Maybe not. You know, that's that's how you have to look at it. You have to be realistic. What you, so, with with realistic in mind, what do you think is the ceiling with and without more? Well, I mean, it's certainly a lot higher. If he, look, if, if he comes back and um, they figure out the rotation of how they want to handle everything, can they still? Because look, can they still make like a Sweet Sixteen? Yeah, because here's the thing: everybody else has issues. Everybody has issues this year. I don't care if you have injuries or not. Nobody is coming into the NCAA tournament like everyone's had pauses and and the NCAA tournament in and of itself, what it's going to demand in terms of quarantining, it, it's going to be hard. 
So nobody is going to come into this thing like, yo, yo, we got this. So can they make a sweet 16 or whatever if Justin Moore is? Yeah, I think they can, depending on matchups. Can I, Can they also lose in the first round, depending on matchups? Maybe, yeah. Like I said, it's just going to be, it's not, it's nothing, nothing can be counted on at this point. Do you have a young say. player, either from your conversations with Jay or, or, or anyone on the team or your observation um, as a writer, is there a young player on the Villanova squad who maybe hasn't shown what they're capable of just yet that, that you think could potentially step in to, to the role? I mean, we saw Archie Diacono yesterday sim- seemingly yeah. somehow um, come out of nowhere and play pretty well. But I'm just curious yeah. your thoughts there. Well, I would go to him as one player just because he's kind of, he's the kind of like, he's going to do all the, the blue collar nonsense stuff. That no, like, he may not score you 40 points, but he's going to win you possessions. And right now that's what you need. Like you, you, you need somebody that's going to go out and win you some possessions and do some of the dirty work, take some charges, you know, things like that. So I think, I think Chris can be helpful there. You know, can Brian Antoine get healthy enough to, to be a factor as a scorer? Uh, you know, maybe, I don't know. So I don't know, to be honest with you. I think it's going to, re- I think it's going to come down to the core players. I think a lot of this is going to fall on rightly so on Jeremiah Robinson. They're all right now. I think I'll, of which much is given, mm-hmm. much is asked, right? He's he's the best player on the team. So that's the, that's the engine you're going to run. I mean, that's that that's what you have to do. Um, to ask another player to come off the bench and help you is one thing, but really the soul of the team has to come from the experience of the team. That's the only way that they can figure right. this out. You know, when, when Kurt got hurt, it wasn't like somebody came out of the blue. It was like Randy Foy, Allen Ray, and, and put them on their back and said, let's go. That's, that's yeah. what you have and to do. And it seems like in the second half yesterday, Jermaine Samuels is actually the guy who said, this whole team's on my yes. back. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes, I forgot Jermaine. Yeah, of course. I mean, and he is – look, I think Jermaine has been – chronically underrated because of Colin right I mean like Colin has always been sort of he's got the ball in his hand and he's the guy but yeah I mean and Jermaine's been through some stuff he's not going to get rattled um but those are the guys that are going to that's who's going to win it for you that those they have to be the ones that are going to win it your experienced players are the ones that are going to do this not your young guys it's not fair to ask them I have two questions for you on the team before I just want to get I want to ask you a little bit more about like what's going on with the NCAAs from your point of view um but the in terms of Jay's performance as a coach obviously you you can't from here on out you can't really whatever happens in the next couple weeks is really not a reflection Mm -hmm. on him whatsoever but I'm curious over the last few years what what's your um what's your how would you grade jay and his and his performance as a coach coming off the championships oh i think he's been terrific i mean i do i mean because first of all i think the biggest challenge that he went through this in 09 when you come off a championship is to not change to not change who you are to not change how you coach to not change how you recruit to not change how you play and he hasn't he has been steadfast in you know, getting the kind of players that he wants to get. Um, you know, I think Javon Quinterly, I think he would admit was a mistake. Not as a bad kid. It just didn't fit. Like he would be the one like, mm, all right, that's probably one I shouldn't have gone for. But for the most part, I think he's been pretty steadfast in, in keeping things without getting things too heady. Um, I, I think he's done an amazing job. It's hard to do. It's hard to win national championships and not lose your mind <laughs> and get your head lost in the crowd it is i mean it's hard to keep your players expectations tempered it's hard to keep your own tempered um and i think he's done a very good job of keeping them grounded um you know it's different like you're you're getting guys who've never known bad right. like that's hard 
They've ne- I, I've talked to Gonzaga. Like I talked to Mark Few about that. Like you know, he's now recruiting players that have never known Gonzaga, but anything but really good national programs. That changes things a little bit. So you have to really be committed to what you're recruiting to make sure you don't change. And I think Jay's done a great awesome. job with that. And and then, is any any thoughts on Colin and? Uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to throw Demir Cosby Roundtree in there too, in terms of uh-huh. what, what you're hearing from them in terms of coming back. I mean, I saw that Jay said the other day that, you know, it, look, the MCL is better than an ACL. MCL is a 12 week right. recovery. You know, he could conceivably realize his professional aspirations. Um, you know, obviously if things don't go well, could he come back? Yeah. I would be surprised honestly. And I think, you know, he's had the better part of his senior season. I think there comes a point in your your life when it's like, I got to move on. Um, if things don't go well, if he doesn't recover properly, could he? Yeah, but I would be surprised. Um, Demir, I think, is a bigger curiosity because he's been laid out longer, right? I mean, you know, he didn't get this year. Um, and I'm not sure what his status would be. So I'd be curious. I think I would be more curious to see what he does, but I would be surprised if Colin came back. I mean, and that's just me talking, not speaking to Colin. I have not talked to him about it, but I would be surprised. I think obviously it's going to keep his options open, which is the right thing to do. I don't think you have to make a decision tomorrow. Um, it's been a great benefit of that new rule where you can keep your options open. Thank yes. goodness. Um, because Colin will get yeah. some feedback and, and, and be able to make an informed decision. Right. Um, exactly. And then I want to ask you about the tournament. Um, first off, Gonzaga and Baylor and Michigan and Illinois or the field or, or is there someone else? Uh, I mean, the only other two teams, honestly, that I think could maybe get there. Um, I think West Virginia is good enough when they shoot well, which they didn't the other day, but when they shoot well, um, I think West Virginia is good enough. I think Alabama is, if Alabama starts shooting, like, like Alabama could look like Villanova in 2018 when they feel like it just like drink, like, you know, knocking threes down and kicking the living bejesus out of teams, but they also could like lose in the first round. I just think that, I think my concern with Alabama is like a team that's never done it before is all of a sudden going to go to the final four. Probably not. So I lean towards, I, I lean very, 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 like I'm going to be hard pressed to, to imagine that Gonzaga is not going to win a national championship. I, I think from my pr- point of view, uh, if Villanova can't win it, I think I'm, rooting for Gonzaga um, because as being fans <laughs> of a team that did that thing where everyone thinks that you're overrated for several years, winning a championship is such a yes. monkey off the back. And I think Gonzaga yeah. deserves it after Virginia did it. Now Gonzaga deserves it more than anybody else. Right. Exactly. Cool. Exactly. I just, I just, I just love to watch them play. I mean, they are just, when they get it going, it's beautiful basketball and they don't have a weakness at any position. And they've got guys coming off the bench that are like Andrew Nemhart coming off the bench is like, like he's starting at 351 other schools, you know? So um, I just, I, I just can't imagine. I mean, I guess supposedly, you know, you can imagine a circumstance where Drew Timmy gets eaten up by somebody like a Hunter Dickinson or something like inside. But I think that, I think that's assuming that the guards can get the ball into Hunter Dickinson, which necessarily against Jalen Suggs company. I'm and not it sure would that be that's sweet. Agreed. And it would be sweet revenge. Um, I think for these programs who have been dogged by people who don't know what they're talking about um, for so long for the three <laughs> previous champions champions to be Gonzaga, Virginia, and Villanova would be quite the, quite the in your face <laughs> um, to people who, to people who think they know question. what they're talking mm-hmm. about. Um, 
Finally, just real quick before I let you go, what's the, what's mm-hmm. the, uh, in the NCAAs, what, like, I know we all talk about the player protocols with COVID and whatever, like, I have to mm-hmm. imagine this is going to be a wildly trimmed down experience for you. Yeah. I mean, we are basically, I mean, we're on our own in terms of like, you know, they aren't really testing us or anything like that, but yeah, I mean, we're going to have to just, uh, zoom calls for player, you know, we're not going to have access to players one-on-one FaceTime, but yeah, we're going to have to rely again on our relationships, go back to the sports information directors and the coaches and the assistant coaches and try to get them on the phone, look for parents in the stands to talk to and things like that, to try to find something, um, more than what's right in front of you. So yeah, it's going to be challenging. I don't know that there's going to be many of us there, frankly, certainly not many of us there for the duration. Um, you know, people might come in and out sweet 16 final four, but I think the first weekend is, is the way we're kind of approaching it is, is about the actual tournament. I mean, obviously games and upsets happen. You you, you write them, but it's going to be the, what's this like, like, what's this look like, right? That's what the first weekend is going to be like. And then once you get to sweet 16, now we're talking basketball, like, all right, let's, let's see how this actual basketball yeah. tournament is going, but just, I'm trying to wrap my head around the first weekend, what it's going to look do like. Do you usually in a usual year, do you usually, go to the go to the turn i presume you go to a site right and then do you usually go home mm-hmm. and, and then okay yep. got it um and follow your beat yeah so this is yeah so you well usually i just so what we usually do is they'll assign me to a conference tournament whichever one that might be i come home even if it's like like when i was supposed to do the big 10 last year i would have come home before just to be home for selection Sunday. And then, you know, we look at the bracket and they try to match us up with, a you know, first round is kind of can be a wild card. It can be regional, but also they try to match you up with um, teams that, you know, because at the end of the way the athletic approaches it, we have to write out like a 6,000 word piece about whoever wins the national championship. So they try to put you with a team where you can start loading the notebook for that. So, and then you go to the first round and then come home for a few days and then, again, out for the regional, then you're really, they really try to hone you down towards a regional where you, you know, you can get some connections and then it's final four. So yeah, typically, you know, it's, it's difficult because you're in and out and you're in and out, but usually I touch, I touch the wall for a few days. This is three straight. I'll be yeah, gone that, for three that was consecutive kind of my, weeks. That was kind of my thought is like, how do you even manage that? Where you have, you have young, you have kids. I mean, l- luckily they're older for you, but not everyone else has that. Yeah. Not everyone else yeah, has thank that God. benefit. Yeah, no, if I, I'm right. Exactly. I am. I've been wildly grateful to having older children for this whole entire pandemic, because if I, you know, my son is a high school junior, I don't have to like, you know, entertain him or he does his home. He does his school. He does his homework. My daughter's in college. I don't need to worry about her. So, you know, leaving is going to stink. I mean, it's not easy. It's a big, you know, my son's got lacrosse. My husband's works. It's, you know, a lot, but they'll be fine. Um, my, some of my colleagues, yeah, have young children and it's, it's going to be messy. It's, it's, it's hard. It's really hard. I mean, I'm driving to Indianapolis simply because I need food. Like why I'm not going to fly. I can't, I I need clothes and food and whatever else I need for three weeks. So I'm driving. Hell of a drive. (laughs) Well, you know, it's 10 hours and my daughter goes to the university of Alabama and that's 15. So this feels like a drop (laughs) in the bucket. (laughs) Very nice. Um, Rob, anything I missed here? No, I think that's great, Chris. I think we hit most of the points. Dana, thank you so much for joining us. Um, it was great to get your take Anytime. on this. And really excited, actually, to hear about how your experience, how your experience is in the tournament. So hopefully we can connect on that afterwards yeah. as well. Definitely. Yeah, my Friday is going to be trying to hit as many games and as many venues as possible. That's my that's my story on Friday, to do a marathon around Indy, to drive around and hit as many spots as I can. So 
That's we'll awesome. <laughs> well, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a tournament unlike any other. But you know what? If we have a championship, then that's a win, especially compared to last year. So, 100% so agreed. Look, thank you, Dana, for coming on the podcast. Just awesome. I really appreciated it. And, uh, you know, I want to speak for Nova Nation a little bit and thank you for all of your coverage <laughs> over the over the years. Um, I, I it, To me, you're a part of the – even though you're not, you're part of the program for us. And – you're part of the experience of being a fan of Villanova. So I very much appreciate having you on. I very much appreciate everything you've done in your career um, and look forward to following you as you continue um, your story career. Thank you guys very much. It's been awesome. a pleasure. Thank you very a lot much. Of fun. All right. And we'd like to thank Dana O'Neill again for an amazing interview and for coming on the podcast with us on the full 40. Some programming notes to make sure that you are aware of. As been the case over the last couple weeks, we will be doing a clubhouse post game for every game that we play during March Madness with Chris Nataro from Villanova Tip Time, Villanova Basketball's newest pregame show on YouTube Live 30 minutes before every tip off. He's continuing it. We're continuing it. Clubhouse post game. Check it out. It's been fun. We had some special guests this past week after the Creighton game. Special guest appearances by Daniel Oshefu and Tony Chenault was awesome. was a great time for everyone who joined the room. I think we had like 40, 50 people in there at one point in time. It was great. Also of special note, Rob and I are doing a live recording of the full 40 um, on Thursday afternoon at 530. This will come after Villanova's hopefully first game, not only game, hopefully first game of the Big East tournament. And we will be recapping that game and talking about the following game and Villanova's prognosis going into the rest of March. So check us out. You would have gotten an email from Villanova. We are on there. You register for it and you could dial in. It's a 5.30 start to the live recording. So check out the live session of the Full 40 this Thursday. As always, we will have a post-Big East and post-Selection Sunday show previewing the NCAA tournament as part of our normal programming. So stay tuned for that as well. A lot coming. It's here. March is here. It's the best time of the year. So stick with us. Thank you again for listening. And as always, let's go Nova. Nova.